Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart bone exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments. The health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Dr. Steve. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and I've got with me my little pal, Tacey, my wife. Hello, Tacey. This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio or the Internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere, oh, God find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news and stuff you can buy or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. Well, welcome back. This is, um, we're in social isolation together. And, um, uh, you know, I couldn't think anybody I'd rather be in social isolation with. So there you go. Me either, honey. Yeah, Thank you. There you go. That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a good <laughs> So um, I guess we can't, well, never mind, we can't talk about that. But um, don't forget to check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. It's going to be a while before he's back. So uh, that's just how it is. Um, we People must be getting bored of this uh, COVID-19 thing. They're, I think they're still obsessed with watching TV, but we've gotten a bunch of non-COVID-19 questions this week. Good. So that's good. It might get our mind off of it for five minutes. Before we do, though, I just thought a quick situation uh, report. We are recording this on April Fool's Day, 2020. And as of today, um, this is according to the WHO, we had uh, 17,987 new cases in the last 24 hours. Now, that sounds like a whole hell of a lot, and it is, although it's actually less than the day before when we had 19,332. Now, uh, social uh, social isolation started, what, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. And think of it this way. I've used this analogy on a couple of radio shows. If we isolated every single person today and put them in a hermetically sealed environment so that there was impossible 
for anyone to transmit this virus. And somehow we got them food and water. Just figure out how you want to do this scenario in your head. But we isolated them for 14 days. All of the people that got exposed yesterday before we isolated every single person in the world uh, will start showing effects within about five days on average. 96% of them will show symptoms within 11 days. And then they'll be sick for another two weeks, maybe three weeks, and then they'll be done, right? So let's, and 99 point, you know, 99% of those people will recover on average. Now, if, so what that means is any intervention that we do today, we won't see the results. We'll just start to see the results in two to three weeks. And that's why it's so frustrating. We've all been stuck in the house. We're not having friends over. Tacey's using, um, what is that app that you're Woo-hoo, using? Ooh, House Party. House Party. We'll give it one of these. Oops. <laughs> yeah, House Party allows you to still be social. FaceTime and those kinds of things are, yes. are very effective as well. I have a house party today with a surprise guest. I'm so excited. Oh, and you don't know who it is? or you? No, I know, but... The other people the other in the ones party don't. do Okay, not. and that's in 30 minutes, so we'll, we'll let you go. Well, I'll do the last 15 minutes by myself. But um, the, the people listening will like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. I'm, I'm actually going to say, um, and I wouldn't tell you this if it weren't true. I probably would tell you this if it weren't true, but this time it is absolutely true. I got nothing but good feedback about you being here. Last Which time. I'm so surprised. I was such... I was so bitchy that day. Well, you, you know? were a, you're stressed out, but so are people that are listening to this. Okay. You know? So you're representing them. Here I am uh, trying to be the calm voice of reason and try to give accurate information. Well, you know, I'll, I'll have a couple of clunkers every once in a while. But uh, given that I was a scientist before I went to medical school and I was a broadcaster before that... Um, I'm in a sort of interesting position where I can at least try to synthesize some of this information and and do some of my own modeling and that kind of stuff. But uh, you are, um, you know, you are sitting in for all the people that are out there that are freaking the F out about this. Yes. Now, I'm still freaking out that you are in the middle of it and that your team are in the middle of it. That that does not go away. That's yeah. a knot no, in my stomach that <clears throat> just won't just won't go away. So, um, well, we're doing, you know, all of the precautions that we can do, and the vast. Although there have been a lot of healthcare providers who have gotten this, the vast majority still don't get it. Good. You know, so uh, we are uh, planning on uh, uh, you. I mean, it's not quite to the level of hazmat suits, but it's pretty dang close. It's N95 masks. I, you know, face shields, um, <clears throat> gowns, gloves, the whole thing, and then sterile procedures going in and sterile procedures coming out. It's about as safe as it could possibly be, given the situation. Good. And it's amazing um, how people can become adjusted quickly to a certain situation. I'm used to being at home now and I'm actually liking it a whole whole lot <laughs> and um, cleaning out stuff that I you know never thought I would get to and getting a nap in and doing work I'm figuring stuff out it's it's um it's and I hope it's going good for everybody out there too yeah it, it's I mean, going to be to varying better. degrees um, I am encouraging people to take on projects like you've done I mean I've have been looking at that effing um, luggage closet for years now, saying maybe this weekend I'll get to it, and just dreading it. And I came home the other day, and you'd already done it. And I really was very thankful for that. But you, you, anything that you can do to give yourself a sense of accomplishment, because when this thing is over, it's going to be a big-ass party. And coming out of it saying, hey, I accomplished X, Y, and Z. If you always wanted to be a writer and you're stuck at home and you can't work, now's the time. And no time like the present. And if you have writer's block, the, the trick to that, I'm just going to give you a little trick. And that you can use this for other things. You decide, I'm going to write from 8, uh, 8 a.m. until 11 a.m. every day. 
and then you sit there and you can't do anything else. You can't play with your phone. You don't have to write, but you have to sit there. And when you do that, after a while, uh, the inspiration to write will come only when you're sitting there. And uh, you'll be able to write very effectively. It's a very, it's a nice cure for writer's block. Uh, but anyway, you know, it, it, you want to write that piece of music. You want to learn the guitar. There's tons of YouTube videos. Uh, this sounds trivial, but actually taking on a project and completing it can give you a sense of purpose. And uh, try to uh, maintain a schedule, too. The one thing I haven't been able to find inspiration for is is exercising. <laughs> I know, me neither. But I've got to do that, so we need to encourage we each need, other to do we that. We need to do that for sure. And doing group things like that, if you are lucky enough to have a Peloton and you can schedule a group to do it together, do that. But um, having some accountability with other people and uh, doing things uh, in virtual groups may ab actually help with your uh, lifestyle and getting through this craziness of having to be. I, you know, I'm an introvert, so I kind of like it. All of my meetings have been canceled, and the few that I still have are all done virtually. So, I, I mean, I could be naked and take these meetings. And uh, I kind of. Just like you are now, right? I kind of <laughs> do like that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, well, you know. I love to masturbate. I love to masturbate. It's hard not to with you sitting there also across from me naked. So let's a little <laughs> mental theater for everyone. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> the uh, curve in Italy, they are now going up in an arithmetic uh, progression rather than a uh, geometric one or, um, or a um, exponential in increase. And what that means is they're going up by the, the same number every day. So they had 5,000 new cases on March 26th and 5,000 on March 27th, 6,000 on March 28th, 5,500 on March uh, 29th, et cetera, and then 4,000 last night or yesterday. This again, according to the WHO. So that's arithmetic. That will make a linear curve. In other words, one that goes straight. It's not curving up faster and faster. Okay. So an exponential curve would be one where you're multiplying by the same number every day. So uh, a linear curve would be something like two, four, six, eight. And when we're talking about cumulative number of cases, right? So every day you're getting an extra two cases. Whereas an exponential curve would be 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, where you're multiplying by 2 each time, okay? And uh, that, those are examples, though obviously not real-world examples. And uh, so what Italy is seeing right now is um, the same number of cases, not the same multiplier, and that's actually good. So what you'll see is their new cases will begin to flatten out if you look at that curve. The, the new case curve is flattening and maybe even declining. Yesterday it declined. Um, their cumulative numbers will continue to go up as long as they're adding cases. So that you won't see that flattening of the cumulative curve until they're getting very few new cases so that the new case got to go down to zero and then you will see uh, that curve flattened, like you, you're seeing in China right now, assuming we can trust those numbers, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's where we are. Uh, social distancing is having an effect. We're starting to see maybe the left shoulder of the United States' new case curve kick in, and over the next week we'll really know uh, where we are with this. Yes, I, I remember yesterday when the president said things <coughs> were going to get really bad in the next couple of weeks. Um, what does that look like to you? Well, um, yeah, again, we won't see the, uh, the effects of strict social distancing until at least three weeks, and that's the beginning of the effects. Okay. So it'll take another three weeks, maybe, before you see an excellent response and these things starting to decline into numbers that we can manage. Okay. And we've got a question about this. I was going to answer it now, but I'll just wait till we get the question why we need to do it this way. Because um, I've had people say, well, it's 99% of us will get better. Why don't we all just get it? And, um, well, I'll just, I'll just tell you now. With influenza, you've got a 0.1% uh, 
mortality rate, and let's just say five times that many end up in the hospital. So um, that we can manage pretty easily because, remember, they're not just COVID patients in the hospital right now. There's everything else plus the COVID patients. So all the people that would have been there anyway are there plus people now with COVID-19. So it's not like these hospitals are empty waiting for us to fill them up with these patients. There's a limited number of empty beds right now. So by flattening this curve, we can allow those patients to trickle in rather than going all at once. Because if they come in all at once, then we'll run out of ICU beds, we'll run out of ventilators, we'll be treating people you know, in rooms that aren't designed to be treating, if we even can get them a room, maybe we'll be treating them in the halls in the emergency room. And then uh, there's a domino effect where the patients who have appendicitis, now they can't get into the hospital, where are they supposed to go? There's no beds. And uh, people who have regular pneumonias or uh, other things, heart attacks would bring them in. There, there's no place for them to go. So now this starts cascading it's like a pump that's overprimed and it's backing up. And all of these cases, that increases the mortality rate that can be directly and indirectly attributed to this pandemic. But if we can keep the curve flattened enough so that they're trickling in and they don't overwhelm the system, then all the people with appendicitis and pneumonias and heart attacks can also get in and uh, everyone can get treated. And uh, while we're waiting for a um, an effective treatment. That's what we're waiting for. We get an effective treatment that can keep people out of the hospital, keep them off the ventilator, and keep them from dying. This thing's over the second we get enough supplies of that treatment, whatever it is. Okay? You're nodding, but this is radio. Oh, yes. Yes. I understand. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just kidding. You were fascinating. That's the first time I've I've monologued that long, and Tacey has just actually listened to what I said. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, uh, yeah, so that's that's what we're, we're hoping for. Now, if we do not achieve that treatment, then we are waiting for a vaccine. And I've been advocating to do away with phase two of the COVID-19 or the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, with SARS-CoV-2 being the virus that causes the disease COVID-19. And um, uh, phase two trials are those sort of smaller trials where you're trying it out on maybe 100 people just to make sure that it's safe, but also that it works. Well, the phase one trial established that it was safe at least for the 40 to 100 people that you used it on. And going to phase three is a little tricky because what if this vaccine causes, you know, 3% of people to get Guillain-Barre syndrome? We don't know that. We won't know that till we're treating a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And if we do skip phase two, we may miss that. There's no question about that. But in an emergency where we're trying to save... Uh, save people's lives, that it may be a safe enough bet to skip straight to phase three. But I'll let the smarter minds than mine uh, work on that. But um, then if we don't skip to phase three, we're looking at probably 12 months for this vaccine to come out. This is record time, by the way. It usually takes 15 to 17 years to make a, to create a vaccine and bring it to market. And, um, you know, so that's where we are. So I'm concerned about the second phase of this. We keep hearing the second wave yes. that will be coming in October when we have a maybe lovely trip planned. Right. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, yeah, if, if we reduce the numbers and we don't have herd immunity, so let's talk about what herd immunity is. That's where enough people get it that if someone, if let's say you have a 1,000 people, and uh, 999 of those people have gotten it. And one person gets this virus in the middle of those 1,000 people. It's got, the virus got nowhere to go because all those it tries to jump to them and the, their immune system just fights it off. So that one person gets sick, but nobody else does. It doesn't, they can't spread it to anyone. The problem with this situation uh, right now is that we have such low penetrance of this virus uh, let me look at the, I've got the numbers right here that I calculated this morning. Uh, the number of known cases, now that's known cases. We're still ramping up testing, so that's going to go up dramatically just because of testing. 
um, is uh, 0.04%, no, yeah, 0.04% of our population. So 140,000 people divided by 328 million is 0.04%. So there's not enough people who are going to recover from this to provide robust herd immunity because we've kept the absolute uh, percentage of our patient uh, of our population away from this virus. So we could be doing this again in October. It's possible that we, let's just say that we stupidly uh, did all this social isolation. We get to the other side of the curve and and we just go okay. Let's just all party go back time. to work. Yeah, it's yeah. party time. It's going to just come right back, right? So what we hope is that we will have a treatment again. We have this treatment. Uh, where uh, you, if we can demonstrate that you give it to people early in the disease, we test everybody that's got symptoms even vaguely like it at that point. Rapid testing, uh, they're positive. We put them on this treatment, whatever it is. Uh, if it's remdesivir or uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine plus azithromycin, whatever it is, or something new we don't even know about. And it keeps most everybody out of the hospital. Let's say it cuts it down to 0.1%. Then now we're looking like flu numbers. Everybody goes back to Disney at that point. And, yeah, there's a second wave of it, but it's manageable. Now, um, if we have a vaccine, again, then it becomes like influenza again. And at some point, this virus will become so known to our immune systems that it will cause very little havoc. But we're talking years from now. Okay. You know. Okay. Uh, this the virus, unless we come up with a universal coronavirus vaccine, which we are working on, they have made a breakthrough in the universal influenza vaccine just recently, and they're testing it now. If it works, influenza is done. <laughs> so many idiots still won't take that, though. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I don't ever get the flu. Well, yep. Well, you by God did this year, didn't you? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, our friend Richard David Smith, who you met, and he and his wife Shatai and their two lovely kids came to our house. And on his way to California, uh, or way through California, if I understand the story right, he got the, the H1N1 flu, ended up on the ventilator, did recover. And he's fine now, but he he was one of those. I ain't gonna get no. I'm using the wrong accent because they're not from down here. But uh, you know, it, I I'm not going to get that vaccine. And um, now he is my number one uh, uh, proponent of influenza vaccine. If I get into it with somebody, I say. I just tag him on it, and he'll jump in there and uh, and give his story. It drives me bonkers. So then we'll have that issue. Yeah, and those same people will be the same people who will be the first to line up for the coronavirus vaccine, I think. Some of them will, anyway. We shall see, <clears throat> I hope. But the uni- universal influenza vaccine will spell the, the uh, death knell for influenza when we can get it to where it's inf- uh, effective enough to eradicate influenza. Now, if we come up with a universal coronavirus vaccine, this will do a couple of things. It will put a stop to SARS, MERS, and uh, coronavirus, or this, you know, SARS-CoV-2, but it'll also do away with all the coronavirus subtypes that just go through our population and cause common colds. So it'll be the end of about half of the common colds. That would be... People, that would be worth, well, yes, it would I be, don't want to say that because... It would, yeah, no, it, that's right. You, nothing is worth what we're going through no. now, but mm-hmm. that would be a, a positive benefit for generations to come that they don't have to deal with about half the common colds that they deal with. The other half are caused by rhinoviruses, which are picornaviruses. Hell, let's go after them too. Fuck all viruses. <laughs> right now, fuck all viruses. Agreed. Okay, I'm not exactly sticking my neck out with that controversial stance, but, you know, for God's sake, let's just go after them all after this. Okay? All right, you want to take some take some questions? Yes, you have. Number um, one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Right, Ten minutes and I'm okay. out of here for okay, a house party. Good. Okay. Um, let, let us see here. Um, all right, let's take this one. This one is a COV. Hello, Dr. Steve. Mike from Georgia here. Hey, Mike. I appreciate your reasoning 
impartial analysis of healthcare needs, uh, diagnostic and overall healthcare services. Thanks, Pal. Um, my questions today are on what is being reported from the COVID-19 uh, situation, specifically uh, the overall diagnosed cases that are overwhelming hospitals and uh, what are the reported total recovered populations? Uh -huh. Today is March 26th, and looking at the state of Georgia to simplify this. Let me let me answer this thing about recoveries. That is the least important metric in this, because 99% of people, on average, are going to recover. 80% of people over 80, probably. It may even be better than that. And 99.1% of all people who have no risk factors, everybody else kind of in between. So um, in, when this is all over, we'll test as many people as we can for antibodies, and we can then calculate, if we, particularly if we don't want to taste, test the whole country, we can do a representative sample and then use statistics to determine what the total number of cases were. And we'll know how many deaths we had as long as we are classifying them uh, correctly. And um, that we're not classifying just people that had COVID-19 in their system on autopsy who may have died of a heart attack, but classifying people who died from this. They subtract the one number from the other, and that's how many people recovered, period. That's how you do it. Right now, the only way to do it is to go back three weeks, find the new cases, and then come forward three weeks, look at the deaths, and try to use statistics to uh, get a ballpark figure of how many people have recovered. But the, the answer is most everybody has recovered that's gotten this. And what we the, it's not an interesting statistic. What's really interesting to follow is number of new cases because that's going to tell you what's going to happen three weeks from now. Okay. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Make uh, sense of the issue. As of this week, it was reported that Atlanta hospital systems are now full to uh, the COVID cases. Based on John Hopkins' uh, map I was looking at, reported cases in the state show about 1,400 total, 330 within the counties of Georgia, uh, Atlanta. Um, are are hospitals unable to account for uh, that number of new cases, especially considering that not all uh, 330 are likely in a hospital? And uh, is the strain on the system truly bed space, available supplies, masks, gloves, ventilators, or a strain on medical professionals for the increased patients? And then secondly, uh, questions about the John Hopkins map is the very low number of total recovered patients Again, as of March. Yeah. That, okay. So, I kind of answered that. The don't don't worry about the number of recovered patients on those maps, because uh, they may be using statistics. They may it just not even be inputting data to that, because we're not getting that data particularly. We're getting new cases and deaths, and then from that you can calculate cumulative patients and uh, all, you know, all kinds of things like that. Uh, and you can extrapolate some information knowing the typical duration of this illness. But 
I have not heard that uh, Atlanta hospitals are overwhelmed at this point. For right now, throughout most of the country, we've got plenty of ventilators. Uh, but uh, during the next two weeks, that will tell the tale. And what we're trying not to do is allow the system to collapse backward, as we talked about, where uh, there's so many COVID pl- patients in the hospital that patients with other illnesses that could be life-threatening aren't getting treated. So um, we'll we'll know more about this in the next couple of weeks. And it's um, there was something else that he had and uh, that he asked. Him. Oh, yes. No, it's not. Uh, any, it's not that 300 patients can overwhelm the system. That's not the case at all. It's you have to remember that uh, about 15 percent of people who get it m- may uh, end up in the hospital. That's just a real rough number. So the vast majority of people don't even get sick enough to go to the hospital and and seek treatment. Um, <clears throat> and um, the. Total mortality is, as we've already discussed, around 1% at this point, maybe 1.4% on average, and different for different risk groups. So um, it's the ones that end up in the ICU on the ventilator, and they're there for 24 days. That's the problem. So you get somebody today, well, what if you get 10 people tomorrow, and uh, they're all in the hospital for 24 days? Well, then the people that come in the next week, there's not enough room for them. So that's... The key to this, again, is flattening that curve by self-isolating, washing your hands, staying six feet away from people at least, and um, and doing all the things that we've been talking about. Okay, so on, you know, one of my highly scientific websites, Facebook, <laughs> that has been, I, I've seen this, this, um, story keep keep going through it's it's gone through on a couple of yeah. times and i've give it to me um i've just marked that person i've i'm snoozing people like crazy right now so i just snooze yeah. them for 30 days because i don't i don't want their scientific evidence and all their or their but, so, lack of scientific evidence yeah for example like last friday night when we were 12 feet away from our neighbors having yes. wine and they were on their driveway and we were on ours and they were like and they no were, they were drinking their wine and we were drinking ours our, they were going we to their bathroom nothing we right. were uh, yeah and and at least we were at least 12 feet away from each other and, and no one was symptomatic no one was symptom and and they're like no that's that's not that's not allowed that is irresponsible and i i just don't I, I want to be socially responsible, of and you do. I, I want to do that. But then I'm also a human being, and um, and we're social animals. And we're social animals, and I I just think, you know, and and the picture on the story is of these teenagers who are sitting on top of their cars, like ten feet apart from each other, talking in a right. circle. Right. And I just find I just. I don't know why that article drives me so nuts. I find it just really, I don't want to, I just think it's offensive. I mean, not that I'm easily offended. I don't want to be one of those people, but it's irritating. Irritating is the right word. It's just obnoxious that. Well, people love right now, particularly on the internet, love to make other people feel bad and this sort of virtue signaling and I know more than you do kind of thing. And um, I think those kids that are 10 feet apart from each other on the roof or in the back of their pickups or whatever, and they're not interacting, they're not touching each other, and none of them are symptomatic, I think that's reasonably, that's that's pretty responsible, actually, uh, because they're trying to social distance, but they're trying to also be social. And what we did the other day was, I think, perfectly responsible uh, we all agreed ahead of time, this is how we're going to do this. I brought the Sonos units that are battery-powered and set them at, you know, at, a equi- at the type of the equidistant triangle, you know, equilateral triangle, so that I was the only one that touched them. They didn't touch them. Again, they were on their side. We were on our side of the uh, – uh, uh, we were in our driveway. They were in theirs. They didn't come into our bathroom and vice versa. There, it was impossible for us to transmit anything, particularly being asymptomatic. Now, there's this thing in the news that, oh, a sneeze can't be um, detected 27 feet away. 
that is one of those honker sneezes, and that is under li- under laboratory conditions. Again, not taking into account um, wind, wind, and that kind of stuff. And and if if and, anybody would have sneezed oh, last wait, Friday, would, it would have been over. It would have been, been so like, over. Okay, we'll see you, you fuckers, later. Um, but we uh, there is this thing called the inverse square rule that the farther away from something you get. Uh, for example, a light bulb, it, it, the, the intensity of light decreases with the square of the distance. So uh, uh, this would also be the case for a sneeze. So although you it can detect a, maybe a viral particle at 27 feet uh, f- in a laboratory conditions, that doesn't necessar- that doesn't mean that it's infective at that point. And you have to have a certain number of these viruses in the first place. The um, cardboard study, I talked about this on my last COVID sit rep, which if you're interested, go to YouTube and just search for the laugh button. And you can see I'm doing weekly COVID sit reps. Uh, They're not the greatest yet, but I'm going to get better at them. Um, I'm worried about saying the wrong thing. So I'm scanning every word 12 times before it comes out of my mouth and my vocal crutches have gone insane with this. But uh, the information there is pretty good. And I went over the, the reason that they did the study where they were looking at cardboard. It wasn't to see if you can get it from an Amazon um, package. It was just to compare it to SARS, the original SARS, because they had data on how long they could detect it on cardboard. Okay, Stevie, so I have to go. Okay. Um, but I, I just wanted to I'll ask. i give you one of these. Thank you for being here again. And we would have done the whole thing. I would have been here yeah. the whole thing. He and just also, had an emergency at work. Yes, I know. Okay. Yeah. And um, <laughs> she's well aware. <laughs> she's well aware. <laughs> so, um, but I just want to ask you guys if you are prayers, just pray for him and all the medical professionals out there who are in the middle of this. Yeah, and if you're not, um, send money. Oh. <laughs> That'd be fabulous too. So, thank you, guys. Yep. Hey, thanks. Thanks for being here. And thanks I, I for tolerating you. me. Do I turn no, it off? No, no. I'll take care of it. You can just take off. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Tacy. She's a good. Let's take a minute to talk about a new sponsor to the show, DeepDiscount.com. A great site to buy movies, TV shows, music, and so much more at really great prices. You know. I, people who listen to the show kind of know this. I'm a, I'm a weirdo. I love Shakespeare. I started when I was about 40. I said, oh my God, what have I been missing? I had every single Shakespeare movie uh, you could have on VHS. And then when DVDs came out, I just didn't bother to upgrade. So I go to deepdiscount.com. I put in Shakespeare. 879 DVDs. I'm going to have to wade through these, but they've got everything. Everything. I'm talking classics from back in the day. Hard to find titles and new ones, too. The best part is the prices are incredible and the choices are almost literally endless. Uh, Look, we're all doing our best to stay inside. Uh, We're doing the social distancing thing. Check out deepdiscount.com. Buy your favorites to keep you company during this time and you'll own them forever. No more searching bad edits or sitting through endless commercials. You'll find hundreds of thousands of choices, including new releases, too. On this week, Star Wars, Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. The riveting conclusion of the saga now available in DVD, HD, and 4K Ultra for a great price at deepdiscount.com. Support our sponsor and own your passion. Thanks, Deep Discount. Thanks, Deep Discount. I heard that somewhere. I'm not sure where I heard that from. All right, let's do a COVID, non-COVID question. Hey, Dr. Steve, it's Stacy DeLoach. Going to let you know I am. Oh, wait a minute. I need um, a Stacy DeLoach alert. I don't have that, so we'll just do this instead. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Stacy DeLoach. Lest I not acknowledge him. Socially distancing 144 megahertz or two meters apart. Okay. So he's a ham radio operator. So am I. 
And uh, two meters is roughly six feet, and that is the wavelength of a radio wave at 144 megahertz, which would be, by the way, the two-meter ham radio band. So that is uh, hilariously not funny. Only uh, the three nerds out there that are ham radio operators got it. So let's let's run that back and uh, start. Daisy Deloach, going to let you know I am socially distancing 144 megahertz or two meters apart. Ham radio joke. Hi, Daisy. Something other than the coronavirus. On show number 400, congratulations on 400 shows. Well, I was on the but podcast. you're talking about please. removing the spleen as with a blood disorder and everything. Got me to thinking, what do you not need to survive? What do you have that's redundant or a Ooh. backup? Ooh. Spleen, you know, one kidney, no gallbladder, things such as that, that you could still be okay with. Hell yeah. Something other than the coronavirus. Thank you. Bye, Tasha. Oh, she's not here. Um, <clears throat> that is an awesome question. So what organs can you live without? Well, he mentioned one, which is the spleen. You don't want to get rid of your spleen too early in your life. If you, uh, The spleen is just basically a giant lymph node. So if your liver is under the rib cage on the right, the spleen is under the rib cage to the left. And you can feel it if it gets enlarged in certain syndromes like cirrhosis and other things that cause splenomegaly or enlarged spleen. And um, this uh, spleen is uh, an awesome organ and it protects you from certain types of pneumonia and other infections. Uh, when you are younger, and then when you get older, it's it does sometimes it causes some problems uh, with red blood cells uh, eating up your red blood cells in certain cases, and um, uh, there are, you know just some certain syndromes where the spleen can actually become a problem. And when it is, you just remove it. It's very thin. Uh, surface is easily to, is easy to rupture, so we'll see ruptured spleens in people with um, uh, motor vehicle accidents where they get blunt trauma to the um, to the abdomen or the upper abdomen and the lower thorax. It's just really easy to tear, and then it ble- it bleeds, and it's a problem. It has to be removed. Um, you know, the the liver also plays a role in recycling red blood cells and their components, and there's other tissues in the body that can take over, so you can live without your spleen. This one will surprise you. You can actually live without your stomach. Uh, you, it's not fun, but you could have your stomach removed, and then they'll uh, uh, attach your esophagus directly to the small intestine. And if you do things properly, you can eat a diet along with some vitamin supplements and stuff that you can live on by doing that way. Um, <clears throat> so that can be removed. Reproductive organs would be organs like testicles, ovaries, uterus, and those kinds of things. Those can be removed, and uh, you can live without them. If you uh, remove your um, ovaries, you'll end up with low estrogen level and go through menopause pretty much immediately and may need medication. And people who've had their testicles removed for whatever reason may need um, uh, testosterone replacement. Your gallbladder. People have their gallbladder removed all the time. The gallbladder is a little bladder. It actually is a bladder that lives under the um, liver. So it's in the right upper quadrant of the abdomen, right under the rib cage. And it helps to squirt bile into the intestine when you have uh, fatty meals and stuff like that. And that bile does a lot of um, uh, interesting things that we can go into some some other time, but um, you if you remove the gallbladder, you still secrete bile. It just won't happen intermittently. It'll just sort of leak in over time. And people, some people can tolerate that, and other people can't. Gvac was one that had his gallbladder removed and couldn't tolerate it, and had to take medication for a while, called uh, uh, Questran or a um, bile, sequ- uh, bile sequestering resin. In other words, you, you take this resin, and now it will uh, take up the, uh, uh, the bile, and uh, you, it, 
that will prevent the diarrhea that can people can get from this post-cholecystectomy syndrome. So that's pretty easy. Your appendix. We all know that you can live without your appendix. It's just stupid. It has some uh, some effect on the immune system, but um, it's, uh, for the most part, a vestigial organ and can be removed. Now, all the paired organs can be removed as well. You can live without one lung. If, you, if you've got enough capacity in the other lung, you can live without one of your kidneys as long as the other kidney has the ability to function. So, so yeah, great question. All kinds of stuff you can live without. All right. Let's see here. Um, so just wondering, this is the time of the year that allergies start acting up and we get our runny noses and scratchy throats and we head yep. for Sudafed. Um, what do we do now? Do we go to the doctors and just assume it might be coronavirus or, <laughs> or what? Thanks. Yeah, Bye. no. <clears throat> also a great question. Um, I have the same problem. I have seasonal allergies, and right now they're at their peak. And so when I'm walking around, uh, people, I, you know, thank God I haven't sneezed in public yet. But if I did, if I were to sneeze in public, people would absolutely assume, and rightly so, that I shouldn't be out in public because I'm infected. So uh, I am loading up on my um, uh, on my Allegra and using my Flonase and uh, trying to make sure that um, I'm not displaying symptoms when I go out because I don't want to freak anybody out. So it's just. Um, you know, one of those things. And it just it, the the criteria for testing people right now for SARS-CoV-2 is fever with dry cough, uh, progressing to shortness of breath. When we get more and more tests, we're going to be a lot more liberal about testing people. And again, as I've mentioned on previous shows, there are um, – and, and by the way, um, I have a, a, a mini show on the website – talking to the folks that are bringing out one of the uh, uh, antibody tests and is also on demand on SiriusXM at the Faction Talk uh, Weird Medicine On Demand channel. So if you want to hear that, it's just 15 minutes. We talk about the ins and outs of uh, antibody testing. So if you think you had it in January and you recovered, this antibody test is for you. And you can see if you have antibodies to it that show that you had a resolved infection. There are two kinds of antibodies, IgM, which indicates a recent or current infection, and then IgG antibodies, which just stands for immunoglobin G. And uh, IgG antibodies indicate a more uh, remote or resolved infection. And uh, we can t- we'll be able to test for those very soon. I've got a case ordered, and I know there are health systems have ordered, you know, tons of cases of these. So we'll let you know. Um, all right. So, yes, that is going to – once we're testing more people, then if you've got allergy symptoms you're worried about, it, go get tested. They say, no, you're fine, or you had it three weeks ago. Go home and quit worrying about it. Or, gosh, you know what? These mild symptoms you're having are actually – uh, COVID-19, you need to isolate yourself. All right. Hey, Dr. Steve, this is Tony calling in. Had a couple of questions uh, after listening to your last podcast on Sunday. Number one, how does this outbreak of the COVID-19 compare to SARS from 2003 mm. and the H1N1 from 2009? And number two, are you surprised or impressed with how fast the world medical community has come up with potential symptom-reducing medicines and possible vaccines? Yes, it's incredible. We're going to learn so much from this. We just need to survive it. So I want all of you to survive this. Um, uh, To come out with a vaccine in less than a year, assuming that that's what happens, is record time. And uh, to start from a novel virus, one we've never seen before, because you say, well, you know, they do it with influenza every year. Yeah, that's easy. Well, it isn't easy, easy, but it's relatively easy because they've been doing it for a long time and they're just 
making a vaccine to the different proteins that the influenza mutates to every year. <clears throat> this is a novel virus. Humans have never seen this virus before. That's why our immune system is having such a hard time with it. And uh, for them to isolate the spike protein, sequence it, which happened within the first few days, really. It was within days. And then have this protein that we can then turn into a vaccine, go through phase one trials, which we're in right now, and get it out to the public within a year is incredible. So that's going to happen. And we just, after that, need to be working on this universal uh, vaccine. But SARS uh, broke out in a similar faction to the SARS-CoV-2. And uh, these things are all hyped up uh, cold viruses, basically, that uh, have just become deadly. And uh, SARS first infected humans in a province in southern China, according to the Center for Disease Control. And it infiltrated 29 countries, and they had 8,000 confirmed cases killed nearly 800 people. So that's about 10% mortality. Um so it was apparently harder to transmit than this one, but it was more deadly. Now, you look at MERS in 2012, spread to 27 countries with only 2,500 confirmed cases, but 866 deaths to date. So let's just ask Echo. Echo, what is the – what is hmm, – how do I ask this? Never mind. Um, okay, let's try Sorry, this. I don't know that one. Echo, how many percent is 866 compared to 2,500? Sorry, what All was right. that? I know. I didn't ask that right. Echo, what's 866 divided by 2,500? This might answer your question. Oh, for, yeah. 866 okay. divided by 2,500 is 0 0.3464. 0.3464, so 0.3, so wow. So it's about 34% mortality, okay? But was very hard to transmit from one place to another. Um, so thank goodness MERS did not evolve into something that's so easy to trans, transmit to other people. And if you think about it, it makes sense. The more lethal a virus is, the harder it's going to be to infect a lot of people. Ebola is so, so lethal that it really has a hard time getting out of its area. Uh, so it's in the virus's interest not to kill a lot of people. It's in its interest not to kill anybody. But it all these viruses always have to have to. Um, work this tightrope between being transmissible and being able to reproduce a lot of, because that's, that's its only drive is to just reproduce. Um, so if it, I think the viruses figure, and they don't figure out anything, it's just a machine. But if they were able to figure anything, they would balance between, I don't want to kill a lot of people because I want to be able to transmit this to as many people as possible. Uh, H1N1, which you talked about, there were uh, 762 million cases of that uh, with um, 284,000 people died. Uh, that fatality rate was very low for influenza. It was about 0.02%. And uh, the annual uh, influenza virus is anywhere between there and 0.1%. With the 1918 pandemic, having a death rate of about 10%. Now, that was a different time, so we don't know if that same virus attacked us now, what would happen. Well, we're pretty immune to H1N1 after a couple of um, swine flu epidemics in the 70s and then again in uh, 2009. So it's unlikely that that particular virus, if it came through again, would uh, cause the, wreak the havoc that it did in 1918. All right. Well, I hope that helps. You know, only time will tell what the final numbers are going to be with this coronavirus. And I'm really hoping for a treatment so that we can all get back to work, an effective treatment. But, uh, you know, that's that's just a pipe dream at this point. But there are people who are way smarter than I am working on this day in and day out. And uh, if, if we've got any chance to uh, get an effective treatment, we will have the answer 
in about two to three weeks from now, I'm hoping the phase three remdesivir uh, uh, trials will be giving us preliminary data, and we should have some good non-anecdotal data on hydro hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin within the next couple of weeks as well. Now, when I say non-anecdotal evidence, what I mean is um, we have a lot of evidence of people saying, well, we tried it on 300 people and they all got better. They said these are not controlled trials and there's bias involved. There's, you know, if I say something worked for me, I think everybody understands this. That's anecdotal evidence. It worked for me. Can't generalize it. Well, if I say it worked for me a, a thousand times, it's still anecdotal evidence. It's just a thousand anecdotal reports. So we, uh, this is the same kind of thing that can happen. We've talked about this a long, long time ago, that uh, if you send out a placebo, let's say we send out a placebo to a thousand people, and let's say there's a placebo effect of 10%, whatever. We'll just make up a number. So we, have, we send it out to 1,000 people. 900 of them say, this is BS. It didn't do anything. 10% of them go, hey, that really helped me. Then you put on your website only testimonials from the 10% of people that said it helped you. Now you have 100 testimonials on your website. This stuff really helped me. Look at that. Here's another one. You scroll, 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 testimonial after testimonial saying it helped them. This is how you can get screwed up with anecdotal evidence. So I appreciate the fact that there is a doctor out there that claims they treated 300 people and they all got better. That's great. 99% of people are going to get better anyway. So, you know, uh, you got to treat a whole lot of people in a controlled system and use statistics to be able to prove that you help that other 1%. And once we can do that, I'm all in. I mean, I'm all in now. I'm very enthusiastic about the, our prospects to find a, an effective treatment for this that will prevent deaths and hospitalizations and allow us to go back to normal. But uh, I am in no way going to ever say that we have it until I see the evidence. And you wouldn't want me to, because what if I'm wrong? What if I get all excited and say, hey, we've got this, and it turns out to not be that? Well, you, you would be you have every reason to be pissed at me. So uh, I don't want you guys to be pissed at me. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be happy. And I want everyone listening to this to survive this thing so we can enjoy the roaring 20s that are coming because it's going to be a big-ass party. And if I miss it because some jackass coughs in my face and I die from this, I am going to be pissed as hell. So let's um, all do our part. And uh, every person that's socially isolating is doing their part to save lives, to save other people from entering into the hospital system and possibly dying. So good for you. Thank you for your service. And uh, we will uh, be, uh, you know, strutting our stuff pretty soon. All right. Well, listen, we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teff, Louis Johnson, Paul Opcharsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, who early supported this show, has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel. Sirius XM Channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners, whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap, and um, check out the COVID sit reps on the Laugh Button channel on YouTube. And don't forget to... Uh, uh, use stuff.drsteve.com, stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs and uh, uh, premium.drsteve.com if you want archives and noom.drsteve.com if you want to attain your ideal body weight with me, although I'm struggling a little bit right now just from stress eating. 
but uh, Noom is helping me with that as well. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.